Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with the CEO and founder of rentpanda.ca, Hart Togman, to talk about real estate when it comes to leasing out your properties. We dive into it all, how you screen for tenants, what are the best platforms that you're looking for for tenants, so what are some of the questions you should ask, how do you find good tenants, what do you put in a lease, what are the, what are the things that are enforceable that you can put in a lease and what are the things that you what are the things that you can't enforce that end up going in a lease sometimes so we get into all of those things we learn about the journey of starting rent panda and if you're not familiar with rent panda you can check them out at rentpanda.ca and if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate investing but you're not quite sure where to start or if now is the right time for you to start, you can register for our next introductory real estate training class by visiting canadianrealestatetraining.com. And during that class, you'll learn about all the strategies that we're currently using right now in 2022 with investors, what areas we're investing in, what are the cash flow numbers looking like, how to generate cash flow in today's market, are you hearing things that where people are telling you it's not possible to invest and then you still see other people investing, what are they buying? We'll show examples of these things. You can see all of that at this training class and afterwards we stick around. Usually it's both Nick and I at this class and we stick around afterwards to answer all your questions live. You can register for the next iteration of that class by visiting canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's enough with the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Hart Togman. How do I pronounce it? Tugman. 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 What, what's the what's the background? What nationality? Tugman. Um, Polish Jews, pretty much. Okay, I was gonna say the. Yeah. I, I was gonna say it must be Jewish. Yeah, I got it. Anything with the M A N on the end. It's like a giveaway. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's not like I'm a rocket scientist. This is like a known thing. Okay, I was trying to pat myself on the back there, but yeah. uh, it's not Greenberg, but it's close. Yeah, that's true. I guess that would be even more obvious, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I guess, Hart, we've met briefly, but now we're sitting down with you to understand the journey of your business life. We want to talk about tenant screening and tenant process and, and stuff like that, and we're going to get into that in a, in a second, but I'm curious, can you just describe Rent Panda and your role in Rent Panda and how Rent Panda came to be? Give us a little bit of the origin story here so we have some context in which to grill you with afterwards. <laughs> Sounds good. There's a lot to unpack. Um, so Rent Panda right now is essentially a business that focuses on leasing and that's building products for leasing and uh, and services for leasing. So, you know, we do the dirty business that most landlords, investors don't want to do, um, but we're not property managers. I should say that, you know, we focus on finding tenants as a specialty and making landlords lives easier by giving them digital products that can help them find tenants. Um, so, you know, I started the business with my brother seven years ago now. Um, I'm the CEO and co-founder. We started the business in Thunder Bay, um, of all places. My brother was an academic. He was bouncing around Canada for 10 years or so. Um, I was working in advertising and agency life in downtown Toronto. And uh, he essentially moved up to Thunder Bay. He lost a coin flip with his wife, uh, moved up to Thunder Bay, 
and uh, had a hard time finding rentals. And kind of the, the inception point for Rent Panda was a website called Home Sweet Homes. This was five, six years ago now. And uh, the, the website was one where it was run by an old agent, not to speak badly of realtors, but uh, it was run by- Feel an free old... to speak, yeah. speak poorly of realtors. We're, we're open to it. We're open to it. Yeah. And this guy had, had essentially the whole market. You would go on the website, you would e-transfer someone $20, and this is again, five years ago, six years ago. And he would send you a word document of all of the listings in town. And that was the way people were finding rentals wow. in Thunder Bay. So this is like 2016, 2017 ish. Yeah. Wow. And when you say it, it feels like it's 1995 or something. No like kidding. That. Yeah. Except for the e-transfer. That's yeah. The only, yeah. Right. Yeah. You didn't have to walk down to the corner and give someone 20 bucks cash, <laughs> but it was pretty close. And so my brother at the time came to me and said, you know, this is Thunder Bay. What's the deal in Toronto? And in Toronto, there was viewit.ca. That's how I had found every yeah, rental. Right. Yeah, Viewit was everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they were big and they were the dominant player. And we had the idea that if Viewit is winning in Toronto and Home Sweet Homes was winning in Thunder Bay and someone was making money off of this, like my brother found his apartment in Thunder Bay by e-transferring this guy 20 bucks. So we thought there has to be a better system out there. And, you know, it sounds a bit cliche. There's got to be a better way. But that was the reality of it. And so we started off by building a platform for tenants and landlords to connect. Um, and we kind of stole from Airbnb's playbook and actually went out and met every single landlord that listed on our property or on our platform. And we did free photography for them. So that was our way to get in the door. We said, you list with us. It was completely free to list. And we'll come out and do professional real estate photography. You know, we took a couple classes. We taught ourselves real estate photography, which wasn't that hard, especially. Got a wide angle that, lens. Yeah, yeah. Got, a, got a basic camera, <laughs> got a wide angle lens, and we're done. Um, especially for the world of rentals and in this B market that was Thunder Bay at the time. And so we went out there and we gave free photography to every single landlord, but really it was a way to talk with every single landlord. And by talking to well over 2,500, 3,000 landlords in the course of the first four years that we did this, um, we were able to get all of the insights that then built Rent Panda. And we realized that, you know, yes, there was a need for a platform in some markets, but really landlords were struggling with all of the tools and services that they needed to go from listing all the way through to lease. Yes, there was some issue with property management as well, but we thought if we can hone in on the perfect leasing process, build all of the leasing tools that small landlords can use, we could really capitalize on a market that existed. And that's kind of been the journey over the last six years. We went from Thunder Bay down to Guelph. When Guelph was doing well, we expanded out to KW and Cambridge. And then a year ago, this past month, in October of uh, 2022, 2021, I guess it was, um, we went across the province. And so- Why'd you go to Guelph? From Thunder Bay, like it just seems like a random, a random choice. Did you have people yeah. there or something? Um, so I'll give you kind of the, the real answer uh, as opposed to the marketing answer. But half of it was because I was still working in Toronto at the time. And it was a market that was close enough to Thunder Bay in the way that it was structured. You know, it had a lot of um, small investors. It was a university town. It was accessible for me to drive across the 401 on my evenings and weekends and do all the work that needed to be done there. Um, it was approximately the same size as Thunder Bay. And the rental market had similar dynamics. It was also far enough away from Toronto that it didn't have kind of the Toronto mentality. Investors didn't have the Toronto mentality there. You could still cash flow properties there. Um, so it was kind of the perfect test market for us after Thunder Bay. And we very quickly learned that Thunder Bay is unique. It's very unique in the way that people operate there. It's very unique in the rental industry. And Guelph was actually a lot more like Hamilton, like Toronto, like um, Barrie started to be during COVID. 
um, than Thunder Bay. So Thunder Bay is still kind of the unique outlier for us. Um, but it was a... And where, when did you enter the Guelph market? This would have been 2020 at this okay. point. Okay. So this is all very current. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, we've pivoted the business a number of times. You know, we started as a pure tech startup. You know, we were prop tech. We were going down that route. Um, but as we've developed, we've put more people on the ground and built more real estate style services as opposed to just technology. Um, and so we realized that, you know, landlords were asking for a more passive approach. You know, they didn't necessarily want to go property management and give up their, you know, six to 10% in monthly rent, but they were absolutely scared of those horror stories of tenants. And they just wanted someone with expertise to find them a tenant. And they so, were, so what does that mean? What, what, how have your services morphed? So we have all of our online tools and that's for the DIY landlord, as we call it, you know, it's the, the self-serve, you know, gas station approach. Um, it's primarily free. They can you know, pay to add on some of the more premium tools, but for the more passive landlord, we actually have teams of leasing specialists throughout the entire province. And so we assign, you know, Rob, the leasing specialist or Jamie, the leasing specialist to someone's account. And similar to how realtors would do leasing, which often they don't want to do, and it's kind of tacked on to the end of an investment purchase, uh, we come on board and kind of do all that dirty work. But we've built the processes internally. We have all of the proprietary tools, the digital tools that we would offer to landlords ourselves so we can make a business out of it. Where typically, you know, no realtor really wants to touch a $1,500 commission when they can make ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars commissions buying and selling those properties. So, what is that process now? Now I'm curious. I mean, we've done a lot of leasing. What what does that process look like for you? Somebody reaches out to you and says, "I have a rental property in Guelph." Yep. What hap What are the steps here? So it's a lengthy process, um, but it's similar to what you would do for your leasing clientele. Um, but it really starts with an analysis of the property. Um, so we put all of our effort into really defining what the market rent should be for that place. And with market rents going absolutely crazy over the last couple of years, it's really important to hone in and have someone local and have the digital technology to understand what you should be charging because a month or two can mean a couple hundred dollars difference in rent. And what do you mean the digital technology? Uh, so we have a couple proprietary tools where we can evaluate all of the comparables on the market and we can look at a property a unique address or unique unit within an address and actually evaluate what the average rent should be for that place. And then we can also look at the tenant profiles. Um, so a little bit of like the inside scoop is that we're actually launching a, uh, a new rent report for the Canadian rental market. Um, it technically launches today. Oh, cool. Um, it's going to only be available to kind of a certain subset of the, uh, the market. We'll test it out with you guys and, uh, and some of your clientele. Um, and then December 1st, we're going to launch it kind of publicly. Um, but through the tools that we have to analyze market rents, to analyze comparables on the market, to scrape data from you know Facebook Marketplace, from Kijiji, and actually get active listings on the market, whereas typically you know we'd be looking at you know Treb data or something like that to kind of get an yeah. understanding of what's out there, but it doesn't give you a full picture. Um, all of those tools have allowed us to build a more accurate representation of what the market is, and essentially we're building tools that makes us as leasing specialists more efficient. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, we're going to build the best tool, but then we can give that best tool out to the landlord audience. So you decide what the rent is. The argument happens with the investor back and yep. forth. I'm just joking when I say argument, by the way, but I know how that, deba that debate is on what, what it can rent out for. You decide based on some of the information you share with the investor or the landlord, hey, here's what we think you're going to rent for. That's ultimately agreed upon. And then what you start advertising the property on your platform. 
Yeah. So we do a full walkthrough of the property as well. So we're going to do all of the photos, all of the videos, like I said, you know, professional photos from our entire team and we've trained our entire team. Um, we also identify the tenant profile. And so a lot of landlords will go out there or investors and say, either this property is for everyone, which it's not, you know, they have a three bedroom home. It's not going to attract everyone. Or they do the typical approach where they say no pets, no students, no families, you know, no one over six, three. And they put these crazy criteria on their property and then they want top market rent for it. And so we always have that conversation and argument conversation analysis with the investor and we give them the typical triangle, right? Like any business, you know, offering a service, do you want it fast? Do you want it cheap or do you want it quality? And so the same thing goes for a property and, and we're trying to match make three parties, right? It's the landlord, it's the tenant and it's the unit. And so we want to analyze, you know, how quickly do we want to get that place rented out? Is time of the essence or is the landlord more you know, willing to wait it out and to get that top market rent? Do we want to rent it fast, but at standard market rent or even just under, or do we want to absolutely push for that top quality tenant? You know, maybe that's that corporate client or executive client. Um, and do we want to wait longer for them? So it's that triangle that we always go through and then we push it out to the platforms. So we push it out to rent Panda, but we are not kind of, you know, limiting to rent Panda for sure. So we know that Facebook marketplace, that Kijiji, that rentals.ca, that other platforms carry with them the volume of tenants that come through. And frankly, in the last five, six years, Facebook marketplace has become the dominant player. Um, the age old, you know, I guess stigma of Facebook tenants being bad tenants is absolutely not true. We've done corporate rentals, you know, that, you know, Tim Hortons franchisees have purchased properties or rented properties from us and they've come through Facebook marketplace. Oh, really? Um, okay. Air Canada HR, um, you know, employees were on Facebook marketplace looking for their staff to be housed in Thunder Bay, um, all through Facebook marketplace. So we want to acknowledge the fact that like rent Panda is not the biggest marketplace, um, but we are one of the marketplaces. Sure. Um, Your report's interesting because mm -hmm. we, you know, on a smaller scale, because of the investors we work with here, we keep track of what different rent uh, units rented for. Sometimes, if it's a you know a two unit, you know, someone put a second suite in the basement. We have we have a lot of those numbers that you can't really get off Treb data. CMHC data doesn't have that. You know, you can't get that elsewhere. So we have our own database, which has been useful for us because we can see trends and know rental amounts that that really just aren't publicly available. Um, that's going to be a really valuable resource because as you guys are filling more and more properties, that that just becomes more and more uh, valuable to you, to the investors and that type of thing because because you'll you'll get those types of units yep. that you just can't get elsewhere. Yeah, Especially sure. with, as that, that segment of the market, I'd imagine it's probably grown. Like, do you guys even serve those units? Like if someone's got a two-unit or a three-unit property, you would, you would rent? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we service every single unit type imaginable. We've done large multifamily and we've actually done room rental sublets. Um, oh, really? So we've okay. done oh, wow. everything from the absolute bottom of the barrel up to the top. Um, but yeah, you're completely right. The, the proprietary data that we have coming through is unique, but also working with our partners, we've been able to scrape data that otherwise wouldn't really be scrapable. Yeah. And so we're using that data to inform kind of an aggregate view mm. of the market. Um, but it's something that, you know, rentals.ca partnered with bullpen consulting 10 years ago and started to produce this report. And it's kind of been the stagnant report ever since. And every, you know, PR, you know, outlet would, uh, would quote rentals.ca. And we're super, super excited to be coming forward with this because it's what we feel is a more accurate representation of the market. Mm. And we're also looking at data and kind of pr proprietary metrics 
that allow us to push out numbers to investors. And so we're we're building an affordability score for certain cities. You know, you can look at Thunder Bay versus Toronto versus Guelph and see what's affordable, but then you can also digest what's investable. So we're going to look at, you know, vacancy rates and average purchase prices and the rent rates and that affordability score and start to push investors towards markets that would otherwise be uninvested in. And that's kind of how you know, we started investing in Thunder Bay ourselves because we found it was an opportunity. And the types of data that we analyze having that inside view is what we now want to provide to other investors. So you're using that report yourselves, mm-hmm. but you're also going to offer this report as a subscription or something that people who are not using your service perhaps can just get that report from you. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And in, in the old school tech startup model, we're probably going to give it away for free. Yeah, sure. Just so that people start to become aware that we are the rental experts out there and we want to invest in educating people as well. Yeah, I'd imagine from a media perspective, those types of reports get traction. People like to see like to see those. Here's the affordability rankings, you know, according to Rempan. And if you're like a journalist putting together something, you just want quick data. That's what I mean. Comment on it. Yeah. So it's it's from from that perspective, it's it, it can get. Potentially, it can get the name out there even further in a faster manner if that, that kind of gets blasted around a little bit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's where, you know, just frankly and openly, you know, the inflammatory stuff always gets picked yeah, up too. Yeah, sure. And so looking at, you know, how unaffordable Toronto is or the new unaffordable city is going to get the traction. But behind the scenes, all of the data is really going to inform investors where they should be investing. Mm-hmm. What uh, what can you tell people about just, I, I'm going to ask just for an average, and I know Toronto's different, like Canada's different, Ontario's different than the rest of the provinces, then Toronto's different communities, Golden Horseshoe's different. But if someone's filling a property right now, you know, and they're, let's say, pricing uh, not to get the high, they're pricing it just right. They want it, they want it done quick. Mm-hmm. So it's right or maybe even slightly below, like just a percentage below what the market you think is is doing. How fast would it take to fill a three-bedroom single-family home in Guelph right now? Ball, ballpark. I'm not going to yeah. hold you to this. So it's it's the absolute typical question that every I know. client yeah, yeah. we get asks. Um, and I would say generally we'll say two weeks. Um, there's a lot of caveats to that. But if you're priced appropriately and you're looking to move that unit, you can fill it in two weeks. With the biggest caveat being you don't necessarily want to have that occupancy in two weeks. So the time it takes to fill the vacancy is one thing, but we always say to investors, you know, if it's October 22nd right now, although it's not, and you want to fill your unit for November 1st, I would suggest you don't fill it for November 1st and you fill it for November 15th or maybe even December 1st because someone who's still looking for a property on October 22nd is likely not the best tenant to move in November 1st. Maybe they're living with their parents and they're flexible, but if they can't get their stuff together and get a property 30 days out or 60 days out, there's always a little okay, bit of a red seem pretty well thought out. There's usually some warning sign what, there, or they're getting evicted from someplace else. Exactly. <laughs> so what do you tell people who say, hey, I really want to try to go for top dollar. I can sit on a vacancy for a little bit. Let's try to get a quality tenant and I'm really going to go for top dollar here and set a new benchmark for the area. Yep. How Same house in Guelph now instead of two weeks. What am I looking at? Eight weeks? You're probably looking at six to eight weeks. Um, again, we always keep our investors and our clientele up to speed on what's happening usually every three to four days. So you're never going to give us a property. And how do you do that? Email, text message? All of the above. So because we have regional um, leasing specialists, those specialists work with each individual investor. Typically, they're working with between two and 10 investors at one time, similar to kind of the real estate model where you have multiple clients, but everyone needs to feel absolutely most important. 
Um, those people will give them updates. Our team has a consolidated view of what's happening with everyone's properties across the entire province. And we can keep people informed. So if you're paying your property at 4,000 bucks for that three bedroom unit in Guelph, and that's absolutely you know above market rent. Average, they're going for 3,700, let's say. We're gonna keep you informed every four or five days about who exactly is coming through in terms of interest, how many of them are quality tenants, what's the demographic that we're seeing coming through, and also what's the feedback that we're getting. And we're also, to get back to the, kind of the process, we're pre-screening every single person that sends us an is it still available message on Facebook, a hello message on Kijiji or through RentPanda. And, and what are you pre-screening for? All of kind of the basics. And so we've actually built a smart screening tool, one of those tools that we built for ourselves and then we pushed out to the market. Um, but it's a, an application essentially that will aggregate about 50 different qualities of a tenant, you know, where they're living now, how long they intend to rent for, whether they have pets, whether they have cars, how many people are in their household, average income, um, how long they stay at their last job, how long they stay at their last rental, all of those kind of standard metrics. Um, and it'll evaluate all of your applicants and actually select the top applicants that you should be talking to. From that, you know, that basic pre-screening, we take people to showings. And unlike realtors, again, sorry to speak badly of the processes, but the processes that are built for buying and selling homes. And so most realtors would put a lockbox on a property and then allow a tenant's agent to bring them through, which is totally fine if you trust the tenant's agent, which we've shown is sure, yeah, not they're not the case. they're not selling the property, yeah, exactly. And we've seen people come through the property, you know, as as small as not adhering to please take your shoes off signs all the way to fraudulent employment information being sent through. And, you know, there was a recent article. I, I think just, it was on CBC. I just saw that today. Right. Mortgage fraud, right? Yeah. And real estate agents are going to conduct mortgage fraud for their clientele. And obviously a very, very, very small portion of the real estate agent world will do that. But we see the same thing in the rental world, but it's not as sexy. No one's yeah, Nick, talking about it. I don't know if you it. saw that. It was somebody who was going to do, I think they were doing mortgage. Maybe they weren't doing, they were going to in the future do mortgage fraud. Or it was the same person they were reaching out to. And they the question was, would you also somehow vouch for me as being my employer or my, my, you know, because I'm going to rent a property and I, someone's going to do an employment check. And the person responded back via text message on the screenshot. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yep. I'm like, holy smokes. Yeah, that part I missed, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we see that all the time with applications that come through. And so we built a system where we said, we're not going to trust anyone but ourselves. So our leasing specialists actually go into every single showing which is a big time suck. Sure. But for all those small landlords that have done it themselves and have that gut feeling, that gut it. feeling is it's built priceless. on Yeah, and it's built on real things, right? So we don't put a sign up saying please take off your shoes. We evaluate whether someone offers to take off their shoes or not. Oh, really really well small thing. Like it. Yeah. yeah. You know, do they come on time or even if they're late, do they text you to say that they're coming late? You know, when they walk through the place, are they really just like scoffing at things and or do they feel like they're falling in love with the place. And all those qualitative intangibles allow us to go back to the landlord and say, hey, we've done our due diligence. Here's our gut feeling, because what they really want is for you to be their eyes and ears on the ground. Every landlord still has that old school mentality of, you know, my gut tells me something. And then we go on to the super, super in-depth quantitative stuff. And that's where credit checks come into play, background checks come into play. We've actually built out a tool with a partner, um, Verifast, to pull income and expense verification. And so we can actually tap into a tenant's bank account now with their consent. They're going to do it for us. Um, and we can see all of the income coming in and all of the expenses That's going the old out. Rentify company? Rebranded, yeah. right? Exactly. Verifast? They just okay. got bought. Oh, is that what it yeah, was? Didn't, okay. didn't single Key just, I think so. No, so Single Key just bought Neighborly. 
Oh, that's yeah. right. It was neighborly. Yeah. yeah. So both of them. A lot of action going on. Yeah. Lots. Mm-hmm. Also another topic of conversation yeah. in terms of the, the aggregation of the industry right now with players that are our size. Um, but, you know, single key bought neighborly for their data and they have a proprietary set of tools that essentially work to quell that fear of unpaid rent and tenant caused damage. And we're doing the same thing. We've actually had some good conversations with single key about, you know, potentially so how working are you, together. That, we were talking before we were recording that that's mm-hmm. every landlord's fear. Yep. I'm not going to get paid and they're going to damage my property. Yep. How, how are you talking about that with people? So that's really where if you're doing it yourself, we're going to arm you with every digital tool that can give you as much transparency as humanly possible about a tenant. And that's things like the income and expense verification, ID verification, credit checks, background checks. Um, but it's also you know, pre-screening people and saving you time in the process of you know, posting your so place on So this is where Facebook I'm using Rent Panda as a do-it-yourself yep. platform and I'm gonna get those tools from you. Exactly, okay. yeah. And so it gives you more certainty, it gives you more transparency. Um, you know, other companies look at it as saying, you know, you can screen people or not, but you want to opt into a rent guarantee, right? You're going to buy insurance. You're going to pay 5% of monthly rent. And we're going to guarantee that if your tenant doesn't pay rent, here's your coverage amount. We think we can take a different approach to it and say, we're going to give you all the information to have, a, you know, a clear view into this person and allow you to choose a good tenant. Cause ultimately, you know, we've done this thousands of times now, the margin for error is small, but it's it's possible to stay in that realm of solid tenants and avoid those horror stories. And we got to remember that those horror stories are still, you know, less than 1% of all of the renters out there. Yes. They get all the media, they rise up in those Facebook groups, but they are still the large minority. And so with the right tools, you can avoid it. And if you're too busy to do it or you're truly, truly scared and you've never done it before, our team can just do it for you. And we play that partnership. role. to be fair, even some of those stories, I mean, they're more, some of them are, Invet caused by the landlord or the investor too, because some some yeah not some, respecting the tenant, not respecting not, the, the property. The property. I mean, you guys probably see you walk into a property, they're like, "Here, fill this property," and you, I'm sure you've walked into some. You're like, uh, probably not even like, have you? You've I'm sure you've told some people like, "We're not taking this on." Yeah, and oftentimes at that walkthrough, we train our leasing specialists to come in and say, "Here's the thing you need to do in order to push that market rent up." And you know, we try and avoid having those. What if they say we don't want market rent? We'll take below market rent, and it's it's the property's not in good condition. You guys will still take because, to me, I'm just like you know, I don't want to be responsible for putting someone into this property because if there's any problems or something, we're we're kind of we're matching we're matching two maybe not perfect assets here. What if the landlord's saying, "I don't care"? Yeah, but I'm just saying if the landlord who saying, deals with the problems afterwards. Well, it's the landlord. They're not property management. Yeah. So they, they turn. To, uh, what I'm uh, what I'm saying is that they turn back as you know to you to us because we've done this before, mm-hmm. and then we've we've had some guarantees in place and stuff like that when we've had to refill a property. But if you're doing that, are they turning back to you? I guess if you're having the the, the conversation. I think if up you're front, having the conversation not, up front, setting yeah. the expectation. Just we've seen people like. Cause, cause problems over. Well, remember, there was one over uh, an appliance repair for like two hundred fifty bucks, and they they had just moved in. The appliance wasn't working. It was like a floorboard too. That just floorboard needed fixed. And, yeah. and it was just like the, the landlord's like, well, no, this isn't part of the deal. Like, and we're just like, you're. This is like someone that seems good. I mean, at this point, you don't know, but you're like, this seems yeah. relatively minor in the grand scheme of things. You now you're making the tenant to... hate you. Yeah. From day one. <laughs> yeah, good yeah, luck. Yeah. Good luck with the tenancy. <laughs> so the yeah. the good thing about our service is that it is a premium service. So paying someone, a realtor, a leasing specialist, a property manager, one month's rent to fill your property, that's already a premium service. So we've literally had one 
landlord like you're describing. And we just had the conversation to say, you know, here's the education that you need in terms of what you have to do as a landlord. So, you know, the stove isn't working. You are going to have to replace that legally. <laughs> so do you want to replace it now and get a better tenant? Or do you want to replace it after we place someone who's meh and then, you know, cause issues down the road? So thankfully, the people who come to us who are willing to pay a month's rent probably aren't the same landlords who are like, yeah, I'm not going to pay the hundred bucks to fix that baseboard or you know, go down the line and, and have a negative experience with a tenant. We've definitely seen it pop up where, you know, landlords try and skirt some responsibilities as things are getting tighter. You know, we've done a lot of this leasing work over the last two, two and a half years during COVID. You know, people are pinching pennies, especially now as we move towards the economic situation, people are getting tighter and tighter, but it just means that the clientele that are coming to us and willing to give up one month's rent are a little bit more selective and self-selecting. There's generally something to be said for using people that specialize in certain areas too, because you guys, your team would have filled a number of properties. So they have some experience for, you know, it's no different. You mentioned realtors and stuff. It, you know, a lot of them maybe haven't filled pro like that's not what they do. It maybe they do, you know, one fill for every 50 property sales. So they don't have the experience, no different than um, like any other industry. There's kind of the 80, 20 rule, but even in, in real estate beyond, it's like, it's a far different process to sell a $4 million property than it is to sell a $1 million property. And there's just different at attention to different details that are needed versus, you know, one versus the other, right? So it's the same type of thing that applies. So there's that, yep. that aspect of it too. A hundred percent. And our best referral partners are realtors. And we've worked with many, many brokerages across the province. And those realtors who are working with investors who are buying and selling properties, you know, consistently over and over again, they want their clientele to have the best experience possible and the better tenants at higher market rent and faster that we can fill those vacancies, the better for that realtor who's working with that investor because they're going to turn around and buy their next property faster. So they've been our best referral partners and our user base has grown through word of mouth. And so good investors, good landlords, no good landlords, good realtors, no good landlords. Yeah. So all of that positive word of mouth is what really drives that leasing business. And then our digital advertising drives a lot more of the online sales. And so those kind of two systems buoy each other. But as a company, we're really focusing on building the tools that make us better leasing specialists. Yeah. And if they truly work, you know, A, we can test them out and, you know, we don't get crap from the industry if they don't do well. But if they really, really work well, they're going to be products that sell well for the landlord audience. I've always believed that, not believed, I mean, there's different circumstances, right? But if someone's local, I think there's always a benefit to being able to learn the process as an investor and manage it a little bit yourself or fill the property yourself so you're not dependent on people like you yep. because it, it's a great it's a great service to have but i'm just me as as a as a person as an investor so much in our world is all about hey hand your money over to someone else and you know go to the bank here's my money put it in mutual funds give me some more money back and in real estate it's like oh okay well go find me a property oh these guys go fill it and then when something blows up the person's not they haven't grown as a person with their own skills to be a real estate investor, even yeah. though they're investing. So, and then also they don't, and at the same time, I feel like if they've had that experience, they respect the service level, you know, cause they have an understanding of what it takes. And then the conversation I would imagine for you guys, when people have kind of done that themselves, the conversation is better because they've, they have also gone through the same thing. So when you talk about a gut feeling or you talk about certain circumstances or something that goes on during the showing, they can relate and do that type of stuff as well. Oh, yeah. That's always kind of something that, mm -hmm. I, I think we've just, selfish. you don't have to, no, people but don't have to do it, but I just feel it serves people. Like it, it can be 
it can be good when you develop those skills on your own as well. I yeah. think we were talking about this before we started recording that we like to put people in an uncomfortable situation yeah. because they learn from it and then they don't need us. And you know, our whole belief is like your life, your terms. It's like, to, well, to live life on your terms, sometimes you have to do some shit that you don't really want to do. And then if you hire a rent panda or somebody else to do it, like you're saying, you're better prepared, you know what to expect. You can kind of audit the service you're getting a little bit better. Yep. And I find many Canadians who've worked in corporate Canada, when when they're used to just calling meetings for things and they've never dealt with the general public to go fill a property, and I think we were alluding to this when we, before we started rec recording, those types of Canadians often will be shocked when they get face to face with the general public trying to rent out their properties. And I love that. Yep. Like I want them to go <laughs> rent their rent their property and just say, hey, this is real Canada. Yep. You bought a property in Barrie, go rent it out. And there, there you go, that's a real Canada. Instead of calling for like, my favorite is when some new investors will call for like a conference call on Monday to discuss what's happening on a property. You're like, we don't need a conference call. Here's what's gonna happen. Like we're just deciding in real time and we're taking action. But, uh, but I'm, I, you must see that a lot. I could see some people who are armchair landlords a little bit wanting to get all kind of weird and wonderful requests from you. Yep. But uh, well, but we've, got, we've seen them because we've gotten them. Yeah, we've got as well. So we've, but they're you know what's rent, they're doing smart with Ryan Panda. He's giving they're giving updates. You said every four to five days. Yep. That circumvents that. Yeah. Because if if they're giving updates by a week, people are going to be freaking out by one week. But they're giving updates every four or five days, so the person feels like they're getting an update and it keeps everybody at bay. So it's a bit self-serving that you're doing that as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there too with with communication being the key to the business. Mm -hmm. um, Rob, who is not able to be here today with us, but he's our CGO. We actually met and uh, and lived the advertising life in client management for about 10 or 12 years. Yeah, so you get this. Deep we get it. And yeah. the reality is, is I'm glad you swore because we can now swear. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, you have to learn how to get shat on. You have to learn how to take shit from clients and still keep a smile on your face and make them feel good about shitting on you. And that's the reality of the business that we're in. And so many people have said to me, oh, you're getting into the leasing business? Like, that's a tough business to be in. And, you know, property management is grimy, but it's lucrative because, you you know, if a property is running well, you sit back and you collect your monthly rent and you collect your monthly, you know, fees. The leasing business is transactional. And the same thing with real estate agents who do well, they grind their asses off. And for us, it's a constant grind. But the clientele that is the best to us are people that have been in the mud. It's like you said, the people who have experienced it themselves. And we're very transparent about our entire process. We walk everyone through it, not only at the sales point, but at that you know initial property walkthrough. We say, here's exactly what we're going to do. And you could use all of the same tools that we do because we now provide them to the landlord audience. But it's hard and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And yes, we've honed in that process, but we're not. You know, we're not shy about sharing the fact that this is a hard process to go through. Um, but we like doing hard things. And the reality is, is that the people who can push towards those hard things can make money doing Yeah, it. the marketplace rewards you for sure. Exactly. Are you using the Ontario's, I, I, you are using the Ontario Standard Lease Agreement. How do you handle landlords who want to make all kinds of additions, maintenance addendums to it? Do you have like a standard process for that? Do you have standard clauses yourself? How do you handle that? Because I know that every, I feel like every landlord feels like they've cracked the nut on what to put in a lease and it, it can delay the process sometimes. How, how are you handling that? Yeah, it's a good question. So thankfully we have a paralegal on staff. 
Oh, do you? That's our biggest, oh, wow. you know, biggest uh, quiver or arrow in the quiver. Um, that paralegal has crafted a 12-page standard boilerplate lease appendix, which pretty much covers every single possible clause that a landlord has brought up to us and said, hey. 12 pages. Yeah, well, they yeah. would. It's, it's covered. Big. Yeah. It's covered. We have gotten 25-page addendums from landlords. Oh, I'm sure. But we've gone through them. And again, we've done this thousands of times. Our paralegal is 30 years seasoned in the industry. You know, the name Harry Fine pops up because he's kind of the old school and has been around forever. And he's got his lease appendix package. Our paralegal was one of his first trainees. Um, so she's been in the industry forever. She's seen it all. And we go through our 25-page, you know, landlord Holy mandated appendix. And we say, this is illegal. And this is from 10 years ago. And this isn't going to hold up at the LTB. And we also bring case law forward at, that's currently happening at the LTB to be able to constantly augment our lease. Appendix. So you're basically educating the tenant before they move in of like, Hey, here's what's allowed. But yep. because really when you boil things down, I've always, and I might have a misunderstanding here. So please clarify me if I'm wrong, that we're all bound by the tenant act anyway. So even if you didn't have this 25 page addendum in there, if anyone goes offside, the landlord or the tenant, and something goes to the landlord tenant board, we're all bound by the tenant tenant act in Ontario. So you don't really, need a 25 page addendum it just makes i feel like the landlord feel better that it's in there would you agree with that or disagree i would disagree okay so everyone is bound by the terms of an ontario standard lease even if you don't have a signed ontario standard lease in place the lease appendix that you can tack on can have clauses within it that are going to hold up at the landlord tenant board um you know, we talk about non-enforceable clauses all the time. If you put no pets allowed, right? Unless you're in a condo that has bylaws that don't allow pets and clearly identifies that, a no pet clause is unenforceable. Sure. You can put it in there, but you know, if you end up at the LTB trying to evict your tenant for a pet, it's not going to fly. So what's an example of, of the alternate, like one that you've put in there that's not in the Tenant Act, but you can enforce it? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of it isn't about enforcement of a you know, a rigorous clause that you want in there, right? So, you know, well, an easy one is no smoking, right? And so according to the Ontario standard lease, you can put in that there's no smoking within the property. You can also add no smoking rules. In our lease appendix, we have kind of the standard commercial style no smoking clause where you can't smoke within nine meters of any entrance. That helps out with single family homes with people smoking in the backyard and the smoke drifting into the house. It helps with multifamily. Um, but it's just a small nuance to smoking rules hmm. that are enforceable. Um, but other ones that people don't think about are things like Airbnb arbitrage. So you can disallow Airbnb arbitrage in your property, but if it's not in there and someone has gone through the length oh, that's of a good one. subletting that's, properly, yeah, getting that's a really approval, good one. Yeah. They can override that. Or the one that we always talk about that no one wants to talk about is what happens in the case of death of a tenant, because if you're a landlord long enough and you, you've been doing it 34 years, someone is going to die in your property. Mm -hmm. And this isn't like, you know, someone gets murdered. It's like you rent to a bunch of, you know, seniors across your portfolio and someone ends up dying. And the reality is, is that the Ontario standard lease is very vague in how it addresses death of a tenant in the property. There's some general stipulations, but you can have a very clear path forward as to what happens with the unit, what happens with the contents, what happens in the case of, you know, no one else is part of the family. Does, you know, what happens with the estate? What obligations does this, does the estate have, you know, like to you as a landlord? Like so good. there's 12 what, pages. Okay. What about, what about, um, maintenance? Do you have any goodies around maintenance of the property? 
Because um, that's always one that's like, hey, and people will put all kinds of weird and wonderful things in there, like you know, don't stain my uh, my carpet over there, or don't uh, don't you know, don't dirty the the hardwood floor. Yeah, any, that's any one gems in there? I would say difficult. Again, most landlords will think, how do I protect my property? Yes, and we think, how do we eliminate gray area within the Ontario standard lease? It's actually good that there's an Ontario standard lease document. It's a shame that it's not a good quality document mm -hmm. in terms of all of the things that it should be. Or right. easy to use. Exactly. Yes. We've also got a lease builder online. Do where you? you okay. fill out a form and it's done. Be a, a PDF um, rocket scientist to use right. that. And you can't download the right no, form. It's a disaster. It, yeah, it's yeah. a complete disaster. But I mean, I had a past life working with government clientele too. So I understand how they yeah. got there. But um, yeah, so in, in terms of that lease appendix, you want to eliminate gray area. And so all of the standard things like maintenance that are in the Ontario standard lease, if there is any gray area, you want to be able to address it in a lease appendix. But maintenance is one that is pretty clear in the Ontario standard lease. And the reality is, is that as much as the landlord and investor audience isn't going to want to hear it, the large majority of maintenance and general repairs that is considered normal wear and tear on a property are going to be on the landlord to fix and completely fix. Um, so even if a stove breaks, how are you going to prove that it was your tenant who broke that stove? You know, if there's a stain on the floor, are you going to be able to prove that that stain on the floor was caused by the tenant and it was caused in negligence or on purpose? So, you know, if someone gets into a fight and the tenant upstairs reports, you know, a, a domestic or something like that, and you come down and there's a hole in the wall from someone punching a hole in the wall, maybe there's some, sure. some yeah. rationale behind it. But if you come in and the tenant has moved out and all of a sudden there's a stain on the floor, you're not going to be able to go back to any lease or lease appendix and get those damages back. But what you want to do and what we've built into our systems and our online tools is conduct a thorough move-in inspection, which I would say 95% of landlords do not do. And when we say a move-in inspection, we mean take photos and videos of everything in that rental property. And as odd as it is, you know, I have a basement unit. My tenant showed up at 10 o'clock one night, you know, when they were moving in. They were super late. They apologized, you know, problems with the U-Haul, whatever it was. And they showed up at 10 o'clock at night. They were tired and angry and no one had pizza and beer. And you still and walked. I around. said, do not take anything out of the truck. Come into the property. We're going to walk around. We're going to spend 20 minutes photographing every mm -hmm. single thing. And we're going to sign a form that says you agree that this is the current state of the unit. And then when they move out. They're going to they're load everything up on so that So you're truck. doing that in real time. You don't have to have those print, uh, pictures printed out and them initialing on a page. You get them to sign a form that those pictures dated at this date and time are, yes. are in fact the pictures that we're, you're, you're, you're using. We actually just have an online tool where you upload all of those photos. And then at the end, you digitally sign that Jeez, document and then it sends out to everyone. I am old guy. I'm yeah. thinking printing yeah. them out, getting someone to initial on the page. Yeah, it's okay. He was nice to you. Yeah, yeah fair nice. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, you shouldn't have to print and sign yeah. anything when it comes to a rental. <laughs> I know. I, I'm laughing because just the other day, somebody was filling a property and they couldn't get the standard lease sorted, just like we're talking. And we're just like... Go old school, print that sucker off, Pe you know, pen in what you need to do, take pictures, email it, they can print it off. So like just sometimes you just end up going old school just because of technology. But yeah. you're right. If, if the things are done properly, you shouldn't have to. Oh, yeah. Now the, I'm curious. I'm, oh. The one thing that, that I was always threw me for maintenance and I, I don't know if the, I haven't checked recently, but as of a couple a couple of years ago, at least. And it, it's been like this for a long time. I think I don't think it's changed is it always threw me that the landlord, the tenant is not required to take out the garbage of the property. So they could just store it on the porch, store it on the 
on in the garage, and ultimately it's the landlord's responsibility to have to go get it. Now we've never really had that problem once never. in a student property yeah. when they, they piled it in the garage in the for garage. Like six months. Yeah, yeah. And uh, our, our garage became a garbage dump. It was, we, it was a one eight hundred. I think got I think, junk. Like, hey guys, thanks for helping out. I Here think, you go. <laughs> I think you basically told them to pay to get it removed, and they they did it. Um, no. Did oh we, no. Or did we hire a truck? There was a couple different instances. Yeah. Students are notorious for leaving stuff. I mean, we've we've seen like brand new construction boots and a brand new like uh, Oilers jerseys, like all this stuff left in the student properties. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, there's value to these things, but we just hold them out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're just like, get this thing over with. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certain things that you can eliminate that gray area for within the lease appendix. Um, but one of the most common ones that landlords screw up on is snow and lawn maintenance. Yeah. And that's something that it's so the landlord's you, responsibility. Yeah. How are you handling that? So in most cases, I like we how you actually, took a sigh. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. It's, it's a that big, sounds right. That's actually an argument that we have with landlords all the time. Um, and especially when it comes to people who have been through, you know, coaching systems and things like that, we always want to get back to the coaches and say, just recommend that they have a snow and lawn maintenance budget in their numbers from day one. It is the easiest thing in the world to just say, here's what it's going to cost for my property in this territory and factor that in from day one and you eliminate all of the potential problems. Because then when a snow and lawn maintenance company doesn't do what they're going to do, you know, they're a contractor and you can fire them, you can hire Mm -hmm. a new one and you have that um, and you can show your tenant and the potential LTB, you know, adjudicator that you end up at that you're doing everything in your power to mitigate any problem. So that's what you recommend, getting contracted out. A hundred percent. And they should have insurance. If, yeah, if exactly. anything happens, right? That's a big exactly. one too. So a lot of people will then say, well, if you don't have a company doing it, I want the tenant to do it. We always would say you should enter into a snow and lawn maintenance contract because if you put the tenant has to cover snow and lawn in your lease appendix, that's an unenforceable clause mm-hmm. because they couldn't do that. And if you're entering into a snow and lawn maintenance contract with them, you're essentially turning a blind eye to the fact that they're not insured. And so you're then going to go back to your insurance company and ask if you have, you know, liability coverage for that. And you're going to want them to have tenants insurance. Mm-hmm. And it's a gray area again. So yeah. to eliminate the gray area, factor in those costs into the property that you're going to purchase. But if not, then you would go all the way kind of to the relationship side, which again, we don't advise. And you're just going to ask your tenant to nicely do it. But, you know, if bylaw calls you up and your your lawn is, you know, 12 inches tall, ultimately it's going to fall on the landlord to come out and uh, and mow that yeah. lawn. And the lawn's one thing, but the liability involved in the snow side mm-hmm. is you got to kind of take that seriously. Because if someone's going down and they decide to slip on your sidewalk or the, the there's someone's delivering a pack, an Amazon guy's delivering a package to the front door and he slips down the steps and cracks his head because there's an inch of ice on it. I yep. mean, you don't want to mess with that type of stuff, right? No. What about uh, tenants insurance? How do you do you, any tips on how to talk about that or call? I don't know. Anything come to mind when I say that one? Yeah. In this day and age, just make it mandatory. It's actually one of the good things about the Ontario standard lease where you literally just check one box and tenants insurance is made mandatory. Make sure, and our leasing team does this, but we make sure that tenants insurance is in place. So you get proof of insurance before move in. Um, so the same thing with, you know, first month's rent being paid, you don't want to give them the keys until that check is in hand or that e-transfer is sent through or that mm-hmm. whatever you know digital payment is there. Um, tenants insurance can be the same thing. And if someone allows their tenants insurance to lapse, you can actually serve the appropriate form. And that's something that you can evict them for not having because it's part of that Ontario standard lease or your lease appendix. I like how you said, make sure you get first month's rent in hand before you hand over the keys. I think that's what you, you said there because we've seen so many people over the years and we didn't even think we had to tell investors that, mm-hmm. but they gave the keys without getting first month's rent or they just got it as a check, not certified, not bank draft, not e-transfer. Yep. And our hearts just sink. We're like, wait, what did you just do? And you know, that check then bounces. And then from day one, you're chasing uh, yep. you're chasing a rent. 
Um, Nick, were you going to say something there? No, I was oh. just, I was kind of laughing at like, you know, like make sure you get proof of insurance and things and like all the little uh, administrative details that you and I would, oh. just, what, what would overlook and be like, oh yeah, it's close enough. And yeah. let's, let's People ask us if we get like parent guarantors on student rentals. We're like, no, we just get the students. The student, uh, students have actually always paid us. Like uh, how many over, over 20 years I could count a handful of times on students specifically. Yeah, yeah, like if that, well, most of the checks are in the parents' names. Right. When there was, and if a student does fall behind, they catch up. It's like one month, maybe they catch up. It's rare. The vast majority of parents are paying for the, 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 like the vast majority of students have the parents paying the the rent Mm -hmm. numbers anyway. So unless the the kid really kind of ticks off his parents, they're probably not going to let the rent bounce. Students take rent more serious, rent payment more seriously than adults do. Yeah, that's what we see. Yeah, probably. Especially when it comes to um, international students, and we're seeing that more and more and more, especially with hot markets like Peterborough or Guelph. Um, you know, people are entering into the country, they're paying fifteen to thirty thousand dollars for sure. tuition, they're not gonna miss a rent payment, right? So you They've, will do student rentals as well? Oh yeah, for oh, sure. Oh really? We've done okay. we actually just did one in Guelph where it was uh, an up down duplex, three bedrooms upstairs, two bedrooms downstairs, and it was a beautiful place. And the student rental market in Guelph had absolutely gone insane kind of late summer. Um, you know, students were living in motels, commuting from Collingwood every morning to, uh, to come to university. There just wasn't enough housing. And so we actually rented out both units around $1,100 a room. We did full unit rentals, wow. but that place was grossing upwards of, you know, 5,500 bucks for an up down duplex. So it's a very lucrative market, especially if you tap into international students coming through who are often supported by their parents. But they're often also working part time, you know, mm-hmm. or they're supported with some sort of you know bursary from the uh, the university. But you're not going to be able to get those parent guarantors, or if you do, no, yeah. you know, you're not going to be able to garnish wages of someone a thousand. The York, miles away. the York University student rental that I had, I would get uh, international students, and the checks would say from the estate of. And I was just felt like kind of warm and fuzzy when I got those checks. I'm like, yeah, this one's probably gonna be pretty good. <laughs> Get posted checks. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, on rent coll- uh, rent payment, any tips for landlords on, on that? Just you know, a preference that you, I know you're not taking care of that kind yep. of stuff, but do you do you have any suggestions? I mean, ultimately, when it comes down to a small landlord, let's say under five to ten properties, e transfer is going to be the easiest way to go about it. The reality is, is that checks are becoming more and more rare. I think maybe 5% of our leases ever end up in checks. As great as post-dated checks sound these days, we've literally had tenants come to us and say, how do I get a check? Mm -hmm. They don't know. They've never seen a check before. Like we're talking about 23 to 26 year olds. Yeah, no clue. Never seen a check. Um, So e-transfers are easiest, but if you're up over, you know, the 10 unit mark, it starts to make sense to look at some automatic rent payment systems. Um, So we use a couple, but there's a ton out there where you can, you know, you're going to pay a small fee per um, per deposit that comes through, but it's going to be automatic. You just have to be aware of NSF charges, right? And so you're going to have that built into your lease and lease appendix as well. But if someone bounces on rent, you're going to have to go after them not only for the rent, but also for the NSF. Any that you like uh, enough that you want to call out? Uh, not really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. There's a lot. That sounds there. about normal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Until we build one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Um, okay. And then um, if one of your clients of Rent Panda comes to you and says, oh, I have somebody late rent. Do you, you have a paralegal on staff? Can they hire you for those types of services? Yeah, for sure. So they can hire a paralegal. They can also always call us. So similar to a mortgage broker, insurance broker, real estate agent. 
you know, once the transaction is done, we don't disappear off the face of the earth. Um, most clients have my personal phone number as well as the phone number of all of our leasing agents who've obviously done work for them. Um, so they can always call up and help. You know, we can help navigate the situation for free pre-paralegal involvement. So if it's just about, hey, you need to send your N4 form, you know, don't wait, don't be emotional. Don't wait three weeks until you send your N4. Rent, you know, rent is late by a day or two, send your N4. Um, if they need help filling out that N4, we can help out. And it hasn't happened yet, thankfully, knock on wood. But if it did come to an eviction, we can obviously help them through the entire process. We can represent them at the LTB with our paralegal. Um, and then if we need to place another tenant, if they do still trust us, although we've never had to breach this before, um, we'll just provide them heavily discounted services, if not completely for free, mm -hmm. to replace that tenant. The only thing we've had so far are tendencies that ended early. And of course, every sure. landlord's going to say, well, I paid you one month rent for a one-year lease. You know, the lease ended after 10 months. Can I get a discount? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're relationship-based. We'll yeah, give them yeah. discounts. We're early enough in our, you know, our sure. career that we can say it's about building relationships and the bottom line is less important. But ultimately, you know, every landlord, every investor is going to be counting every dollar. Um, and we want to make sure that ultimately they feel comfortable with us as a service. They trust us. And that's why, you know, partnerships like ours are so important because we want them to start from an element of implicit trust. You know, if we have to start from the bottom and build that trust all the way up, it's going to be a long road ahead. But if we can start with you know, a trusted word, a trusted referral, then we're, we're golden. What do you guys, um, I guess maybe when the, the, I guess two questions, the handoff between you guys and to the landlord would be, that would be interesting because if someone's, um, like in Tom example, like a corporate kind of person that's never really dealt with tenants, this is their first property. You guys have filled it. You know, what are you guys doing for the handoff there? Do you guys set up a meeting between, between them where your agent would go as well as the landlord and the tenant, And then do you kind of get everyone on the same page that way? Or you're just doing it all virtually? It's mostly virtual. Um, and that's just for efficiency. I mean, yeah. we're still trying to run a, a semi-profitable business. <laughs> so it's like a Zoom call, um, but everyone's face-to-face, -face, I guess, or just e e people are copied on emails? So the typical process is that we're going to intro everyone over email, but the landlord will have been kept up to date throughout the entire process. You know, they're actually going to approve every single applicant that comes through, and we don't charge them kind of per round. So if we brought you three applicants, and we usually will bring you a group and not just one and say, here's your tenant, um, you could veto them to your heart's content. If you're like, you know, I don't like that person's income source, I don't like that person's, you know, credit check, Regardless of the rationale that we're providing, you can veto people. And we've kept you up to date throughout the entire process that our introduction is really just like a formality. And it's saying, hey, you know, tenant meet landlord, landlord meet tenant. Here are all of your next steps. You know, conduct a move-in inspection, arrange for Ask key for transfer. tenant's insurance. Yeah. Well, we actually do that. You so collect we that make sure that tenant's insurance is in place. And we also make sure that first and last month's rent is deposited directly with the landlord. So we don't process anything in trust. We don't take out our fees. First and last month's rent goes directly to the landlord or investor, and then we invoice them. So similar to any contractor, you know, you could just not pay your invoice if you're unhappy with our service. And that's how strongly we were, you know. Oh, good for you guys. With, wow. What about at the end of the lease? Are you guys advising the, the your clients on next steps when the lease is up or are they just the majority just going to month to month at that time? Yeah. So the very, very large majority are going month to month because the Ontario Standard Lease doesn't actually end. So the term technically expires, but it automatically transitions to month to month. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing to really do. And that's what we kind of educate landlords about as we go through. Um, but if someone were to have you know, a vacancy coming up, let's say 60 days before that, the end of that term, they get their notice. They're usually calling us up and saying, hey, my tenant just gave notice. Can you find my next one? Sure. Yeah. 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 We've we've 
you know, it just, it, it seems like it's almost advantageous to the landlord to not resign a new lease. Um, it just gives more flexibility, especially in the market that we were in, where some people wanted to cash out and sell the properties and that type of thing. With a lease in place, it limited flexibility for landlords. So it's often better not to have a lease in place, which is kind of the opposite of the traditional thinking where everyone's like, well, I want them on a lease. I want to make sure they're on a lease. And yep. it's like the way the, the rules are set, like you were saying, but just let them go month to I think month. both like, parties yeah. afterwards prefer not to go on I think it's e- I think it's easier for everyone, yeah. probably. Yeah. It really varies in a lot of landlords because they're still kind of in that old school mentality. They want the perceived security of a year-long lease, but when it gets down to the legislation, you're completely right. A month-to-month agreement, which is still a lease, right? You're still entering into a month-to-month lease with the same Ontario standard lease document. That's more advantageous, especially if you're in a volatile market and you're like, maybe I'm going to sell in six months. So it gives you that flexibility. But the large majority of our clientele are still kind of old school in the sense of they're perceiving a lease as a year document. And that gives them at least security to say, I've got this tenant in for a year. When in reality, the legislation is much more in line with tenant flexibility and the tenant can give you notice, um, can ask to sublet the property, can ask to assign the property. And if you say no to that assignment and sublet, they're out of that lease within 30 days. Um, And even if not, you have to make a reasonable effort to mitigate your losses. So everything is kind of siding on the tenant side, which is why we're super excited about providing a landlord first approach where we can educate people, we can build tools and we can try and shift that to a more balanced economy. From the data that you're seeing across Ontario, any markets really standing out one way or another? Ones that you thought maybe were super affordable that are not, or some that are like, wow, this is a big opportunity? I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this. Yeah. I mean, I just saw the data for the first time last night. So okay. it's uh, it's definitely something we'll follow up on. I think, you know, the standard two ends of the spectrum are as expected. You know, Toronto, oh. Vancouver, Montreal are highly unaffordable. Um, when you start to look at, you know, Guelph or even Kingston or Ottawa, they're relatively unaffordable still. You know, everyone expects Waterloo, but, you know, Cambridge and Guelph are starting to creep up Mm -hmm. there in terms of that unaffordability. Um, The affordable markets are few and far between, but there are still affordable markets like Thunder Bay, like Sudbury, um, like Sarnia that are still quite lucrative. Windsor. Yeah. Well, Windsor's like moving into that unaffordability, you know, spectrum. But what us as investors want to look at a little bit more is the, you know, the rent to price ratio. And that's something that next month we're going to be coming out with oh, in cool. terms of a investability. Um, Cause something like Thunder Bay, and I always am hesitant to talk about Thunder Bay cause we're invested in Thunder Bay and mm. it's a little bit of a, you know, an you love market. It. You, you love it. You don't, I love Thunder you don't want yeah. anyone else there. We get exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully. you're hogging yeah. Thunder Bay for yourself. Exactly. <laughs> um, but the, the purchase prices are still quite low when, when you look at the rents that you can bring in and Thunder Bay has kind of been buoyed by the mining industry, you know, the logging industry, the manufacturing industry and Thunder Bay is kind of undergoing this change right now where a lot of kind of my cohort, you know, the, the 30 to 40 year olds are moving back to Thunder Bay because they grew up there. They said like all of us do, you know, screw this. I need to get out of my hometown. It's the middle of nowhere, but now when they're having families and looking to start kind of more stable businesses, they're coming back to Thunder Bay and they're really building up kind of the arts and culture and restaurant scene there. So it's becoming a market that um, is 
growing, but is still affordable for investors and lucrative. For you investors. can see it in the data, the population data that <clears throat> freaked me out that I saw recently for Canada is London, Ontario's population growth through the yeah. roof. Yeah. London, Ontario well, if, went nowhere for years. Now it's through the roof. Well, if you look at the Toronto numbers, it's it's the, the number of kids in moving out of the city, like the, the population of, of, I think it was children under three, some of Moffitt's numbers that they put together is uh, in 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 Toronto is just dropping dramatically. And it's not just the kids leaving. It's obviously the, the you know, the, the parents are leaving with the kids. So you can see just this, this, this exodus uh, yeah, of, yeah. of families outside of Toronto to all these other areas and other areas in Canada. It too, makes the area more important. interesting. If we have other vibrant cities with restaurants and with, you know, re- cafes and that kind of stuff, it kind of makes it for a more interesting place. Well, just to look live. at the Golden Horseshoe. Just if you drive just from Niagara all the way through Durham, let's call mm-hmm. it just along the QEW, just, just that way. Right. You, like you, you've just, you have all these different communities you can stop in with different, yeah. That are that have some vibrancy to them, you know. Look at the cool. Collingwood area. Collingwood yeah. didn't move forever. Oh, yeah. Now in the last ten years, in the last two years, it's crazy. The really surprising thing that we're seeing, which we were seeing anecdotally in the leasing business for the last few weeks, um, but you guys are actually the first ones that we're talking about this with. But um, we've actually seen now month over month rent decreases in about twelve markets in Ontario. Um, which is really interesting. I mean, maybe investors are going to start, you know, screaming that like that's a terrible thing, but it's actually alluding to a more balanced market where we're going to start to see um, high quality tenants, stable market rents where you can, you know, you can look at a market and say, yes, this is exactly what I'm going to get for market rent, how long it's going to take to rent a property. And so we're seeing some of these markets that were absolutely astronomically, you know, growing over the last couple of months starting to come back down towards this element of normalcy that makes sense. again. It was going too too high, yeah. too fast. And there has been a change back to the office. Yeah. So some of those markets that maybe were renting out had that some of that demand. Some of that demand is moving back away into the city as well. So it's yeah. a couple of factors. Spiking up too high, too fast. Yep. Needs to settle. And maybe just a slight change in demand. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the, the nature of a renter is fundamentally changing. And it has been over the last 10 years. You know, everyone has the stigma of renters mm. being students and poor yeah, people. Good point. Yeah. And that demographic is shifting considerably. Totally, people yeah. are renting longer. People are renting with larger families. There's now, you know, multifamily housing or not multifamily, but multi-generational housing that's starting to become more standard. And we saw a lot of it out in Peterborough where, you know, 35 to 40 year olds are moving in and bringing their parents. They're not moving back in with their parents, but they're moving into a home and supporting their 70 year old parents Mm -hmm. and they have kids themselves too. So we're seeing that shift. I think there's a segment no different than the resale market that are interested in staying put because rents have moved so much. Like if they even got into their property two years ago, rents have gone up 30%. Like in the last year, depending on the area, it's 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. So if they've gone up that much, even if they're settling down a little bit, anything that spikes up has to settle down a little bit. But if you're in a decent property, and you start looking elsewhere, you're like, well, you know what, I'm going to stay here because the rents are capped, artificially capped because inflation's running at, you know, real inflation's probably 15% or so. And they're, you know, they say it's eight and it's, uh, our in- the, the landlord increases are capped at two and a half percent. So they're artificially suppressing rents. So it'd be interesting if that dynamic ever changes and affordability changes and people start just kind of moving on mass a little bit, like when the interest rate moves settle down and the economy just kind of recovers, what the dynamics are then. Yeah. Because I think it's artificially keeping people in place. It, in the resale market as well. You know, life happens. Some people are going to have to move and that type of stuff. But I think a lot of people are just like, yeah, let's put whatever plans we might have had on hold right now. Because when we look around, if I have a, if I'm renting, I mean, we have some people renting a, a you know, a full home in, in Oakville, call it for 25, 26, 2700 by what? 26, 50, 20, something like 26. that. Right. And it's a three bedroom home, finished basement. Like it's, you know, they're in a, they're in a 
It was high when we yeah. first set that rent. Yeah, now. but they've been in there. But so for yeah. them to look around, they're yeah. like, no, we're just gonna we're, we're gonna stay here. Yep. Right. So. But to that point, I mean, there's there's a lot of markets that are still quite lucrative if you can do that hard shit, right? If you can push outside of the envelope, and there's you know people that we've met at your conference and other conferences that are starting to push what a standard investment looks like. You know, they're looking at you know, accessory dwelling units. They're looking mm -hmm. at multi-generational sure. families. Well, Craig Race was just in here talking from Lanescape, talking mm -hmm. about uh, laneway housing mm -hmm. just in Toronto. What's that's going to change Toronto? Never mind the rest of the province. Ontario yeah. is basically going through a big shift. That's it was kind of status quo for quite a long time. And now I feel between laneway housing and some of these other markets because of affordability, people moving back to Thunder Bay, moving back to London, Peterborough. It's, it, it's interesting to see the evolution of this space. And it's a lot of it's just because of the population growth here. That's what I was going to say. Affordability, I agree, is one thing for sure. I wonder how much density comes into play. Because as density, Toronto's still not a dense city compared to other, other cities in the world. But it's much more dense than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering from the family aspect, so people leave for affordability for sure. At what point are people, how much of, like what percentage of people are also leaving because they're just like, man, I can't take the city. Yeah, but like some I people are going to stay because they like the city. Because they like the city, yeah, yeah, for sure. And ultimately, I mean, I think today there was a report that, you know, the the country is looking to up the number yeah, of we were just new immigrants that come it. in, right? It's at 465,000 projected for this year. And they're going to push upwards of 500,000. So but the reality like how everyone talks about this now. This is great yeah, that yeah. it's out in the, in the public domain. Well, it's amazing. But, but their goal for this year housing. wasn't 465. Their goal was 400. Right. Right. It was or 40 something. Like yeah, they eight. always overshoot. Yeah. 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 And that's so, what I mean. I'm looking at that number and the second it came out. Yes, there's a massive shortage of housing. That's the, the kind of bottom line. But how I'm looking at it is that there's a segment of the population that isn't going to fall into a typical screening process of a landlord. And there's going to be a lot of people that can't get past a typical landlord's view of what, you know, the ideal tenant is. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, there's going to be big families coming in from, sure, you know, many, many countries with seven or eight people and multi-generational. There's going to be a lot of international students coming in that don't have any credit history, that don't have any background mm -hmm. information on them. And so we're going to have to figure out new ways to present those people as quality tenants to landlords if we're going to end up housing. And, and Canada is also facing another problem. Just hearing you say this hard, it's make, it becoming obvious to me that like if Canada doesn't fix its transportation infrastructure and its healthcare okay. and its education, word gets back to all these countries where everyone's coming to. Immigration. And, I, and the reason I say that, I already know some recent immigrants who are communicating back to friends and family back home saying, don't come because they had to use the healthcare system here. We're shocked at what the healthcare system really was compared to the expectations of what they had. And they're telling people do not come. So like we can, we can, we can pound people in here, but at a certain point, Canada has to fix the infrastructure, healthcare, education, transportation. Well, we run services. our hospitals at like 90, they, they, they aim for like 90% occupancy, right? Like somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. So they're running. So any minor little surge, it ruins it all. And if you're bringing all these extra people in, we have no, we already have barely any capacity. So, so to me is I'm with you. Like, like is the it, province aware that the federal government's target is now 500,000 for population growth? Yeah. And, are they, the and are they, and are they increasing the healthcare systems here? Anyway, yeah. We know the answers. Yeah, but you're right. That's that. See, that that's, that is a risk to all these population. Like everyone's just talking population. Yeah, it's population ultimately growth. becomes a risk. And we've been, I think, since 2016. Did did we start 2018 for sure? So I know it was in my first presentation. We started talking about that type of stuff. I don't know, maybe maybe slightly earlier. Mm -hmm. But but there's when everyone's talking about it, the, there's a risk of that shifting quickly too because people can quickly be like, oh, we're just going to go over in this direction yeah. all of a sudden, right? Canada's still relatively the best 
But, There's still a lot of good options, yeah. but, but but we run the risk of of really kind of overextending yeah. things and making things and not put, putting people in a not so good situation for sure. Hart, thanks for doing this. So interesting to hear the story of Ren Panda. Congrats on everything so far. We're excited. I mean, that we you know we selfishly encourage we want you to succeed just because of all the investors that we work with to have good services like you you're you're offering here really support so you say we'll see yeah no i'm just yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah we'll talk to you in like a year or no yeah we're impressed as the way you're handling everything that your view on the business and how you're interacting with landlords and you're taking an education approach um yeah really great stuff so thanks for sharing all this stuff we're really hoping you the best and we'll bug you to come back here in a little bit to give us an update on what's going on and what yep. you're seeing what you're seeing so for sure how do so what are you uh, other than rentpanda.ca that's the main url yep correct what else how do people find you or is it just go to rentpanda.ca go to rentpanda.ca check us out on facebook instagram now on youtube and and hopefully uh yeah you see my mug everywhere and uh, get in touch and i mean to your point nick we also don't want people just to say, cool, this is your service and I can opt into it. We want people to challenge the status quo. We want people to use the online tools and say, this thing is broken because we're building and building and building. And everything that we've built so far has been because of landlords coming to us and sharing their experiences and sharing what they wish would be out there. Yeah. So if you were like, hey, have you ever thought about building this? We would probably say maybe, but let's talk about it. You're be, be building it based on first hand feedback versus just theory yeah right? exactly Which makes a difference for yeah. sure yeah. and we're landlords and investors ourselves and we always want people to poke holes in our system yeah awesome yeah. art thanks so much really appreciate this thank you thank guys. you Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that episode with Hart. You can learn everything about Rent Panda by visiting rentpanda.ca. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate investing, you can visit our next, or register I should say, for our next real estate investing class by visiting canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's canadianrealestatetraining.com. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.